Amen. We'll ask you to turn your Bibles to our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read together verses 25 to 37. The Gospel according to Luke, beginning in verse 25, and we'll read through to verse 37. I ask if you will please stand with me as we read together Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he... Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day... He took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask him to bless our time on his word. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures, and thank you especially for the words of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. I pray that you would take the words of our Savior, our Lord, and write them deep upon our hearts. Change us as we look upon the glory of Christ this morning. Help us to see and receive and welcome his message. His teaching in this passage, what he means for us to get from this parable. May we remember it and go from this place and do likewise. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Once when I was a kid, I had a unique experience watching a movie with my uncle. He and I were both 
big Tom Hanks fans. We had gone to the movies one time together to see Apollo 13, and I was just blown away. I loved uh, the great movie, and I loved Tom Hanks. We both loved Tom Hanks. And one day, my uncle called me up, and he invited me to come over to watch this new Tom Hanks film that he had just bought on VHS. <laughs> it, was a, it was a two VHS movie, right? Like, remember the Titanic was two VHS tapes? This one was a two, a two taper. Uh, I went over to his house, and we watched The Green Mile. Anybody seen The Green Mile? Remember that? Okay. All right. Now, I didn't know anything about The Green Mile uh, when, we, when I went into this. I just knew, okay, it's three hours. I better get ready to get popcorn, get a snack, get something to drink, take a bathroom break. You know, get, you know, get a deep seat in the saddle. It's going to be a while. But it's Tom Hanks, so it's going to be awesome. But I didn't know anything about the movie. Never heard of it. And I thought, okay, it's Tom Hanks. No problem. Hit play. I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea what was going to happen. The Green Mile is this three-hour movie. And so for a long time, everything in the movie was completely normal. Nothing strange, nothing unexpected was happening. And then out of nowhere, and if you've seen it, you, you, I mean, you know, what, you, you know what part I'm talking about. Out of nowhere, with zero warning, no heads up, something totally bizarre and almost supernatural happens. Uh, and, and guys, I can't begin to tell you, I can't begin to describe how absolutely unprepared and confused I was for what I was seeing. It was just shocking. Because nothing in the movie had prepared me for what happened, for that, this particular scene. So the complete normalcy of the movie up to that point, it was over. It was over. At that moment, all my expectations for what I was watching were completely overturned. I realized then that I had been watching the entire movie wrong. This is not the movie I thought it was. I'm having a different experience than I'm supposed to be having. After this sudden revelation... Anything was possible in the rest of this movie. I, and I had to readjust, I had to reorient myself completely so that I could truly understand and follow along with the rest of the movie. Now when that weird part happened, and I'm not going to describe it, you go watch it. When that weird part happened, I startled my uncle because I almost lost it. I just had an outburst. What? <laughs> what is happening? What? You didn't want, what is that? What kind of movie is this? Is this a joke? What are we watching? And, and like, I just had this outburst, and, and, and my uncle didn't know. I had no clue what kind of movie it was. And so he said, Wesley, it's based on a Stephen King book. And I said, oh, okay, all right, all right, Stephen King, Whew, okay. Whew. Totally need to readjust what movie I think I'm watching now. I got it. Why didn't you say so? Now this isn't weird at all. Now it's just completely expected. Stephen King movie, something weird's going to happen. Got it. Wish he had warned me. Okay. So everything suddenly made sense when I realized what kind of movie I was watching. Before that, I was completely watching it wrong. <laughs> now, the way I felt watching The Green Mile is how people pretty much 
every time, how people felt pretty much every time Jesus told a parable. Jesus told a few different kinds of parables, and one type he loved to tell is called a parable of reversal. A parable of reversal sets up a normal situation that meets everyone's basic expectations, and then it suddenly flips the script and overturns everything you thought you knew. The sudden reversal of expectations is intended to deliver the point with some dramatic power. Jesus told parables of reversal as a way of teaching people what it looks like and what it feels like when the kingdom of God suddenly invades the normalcy of our fallen world. Jesus meant for the parable to communicate the experience of the kingdom. The shock and surprise that people felt at the reversal in the parable is itself a parable of how it feels when the kingdom of God arrives and reverses everything in our world that we thought we knew. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is not just some distant hope way out there that we're looking for way off in the future. One day maybe it'll be here. Rather, the kingdom is a present reality. It is permanently available right here and right now. And it's always in the process of coming. Always in the process of overturning our expectations and challenging our safest assumptions. The revelation of the kingdom is, in a sense, the end of the world as we know it. We have a word in theology for this. It's eschatology. From the Greek word, I never pronounce Greek words, but I'll do you one this week. It's eschatos, or eschaton. Eschaton. And it's just a normal Greek word for the end. The question is the end of what? If you were going to the market in ancient Greece, and you're like, where's the eschaton? You're not looking for the second coming of Jesus. You're looking for the end of the line. Where's the end? So it's just the end. The end of what? Eschatology is the study of the end times, the end things, those last things that are supposed to happen before the the world as we know it is over. The revelation of the kingdom in the life of Jesus is the end of the world as we know it. It's a little taste now of what the end will be like when the kingdom is fully and finally here. The reversal of everything we thought we knew means we must readjust and reorient ourselves completely, like me watching the Green Mile, so that we now are able to see the world and our own lives as they should be under the rule and reign of God. This world-negating experience of the kingdom is the very experience that Jesus tries to create in his listeners when he tells them a parable of reversal. In our passage this morning, Jesus tells a parable of reversal in response to a question about the law, God's law. The encounter begins when a lawyer tries to challenge Jesus with a question 
about salvation in verse 25. Look at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer. Now, here a lawyer doesn't mean Matlock. Anybody used to watch Matlock? I loved Matlock. All right, this isn't, don't think Matlock. Don't think that kind of lawyer, okay? A lawyer here is an expert in Jewish law. This is a scholar. This is a scholar in the law of Moses. That's, that's what kind of lawyer we're talking about. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's the question that sets up this whole thing. But what does Jesus do? He puts the question back to the lawyer by asking, how, how do you interpret the law? That's verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is a smart debater. What have I got to do to, be an etern- to get eternal life? Well, you're a lawyer. Tell me what the law says. What do you think? Jesus is a smart debater. Get him to talk first and then pick it apart. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer then quotes two commandments from the Pentateuch, from the first five books of the Bible. Now, in Matthew and Mark's version of this encounter, these two commandments are called the greatest of all commandments. And the first one comes from Deuteronomy 6.5, and the second one comes from Leviticus 19.18. He quotes them in verse 27. And he answered, this is the one from Deuteronomy, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then the next part is from Leviticus. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus responds to him. You see, this is a, deba- this is a good debate happening here. Jesus responds to him in verse 28 by affirming the lawyer's answer. He says, that's right. And then Jesus quotes another verse from Leviticus. Look at verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. And then here's the quote from Leviticus. Do this and you will live. That's Leviticus 18.5. So they're having this great debate. And interestingly, in Mark's version of the story, and I believe it's Mark 12.34, Mark has Jesus tell this lawyer in response to this correct answer, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom, my friend. And at this point, the lawyer asks a follow-up question and the command, about the commandment from Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer wants to have a debate with Jesus about who really keeps the law. And notice that the motivation, the motivation behind this question has to do with who is truly righteous. Look at verse 29. But he, this is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, you can almost hear the, that's my interpretation. Who is my neighbor? Ah, yes, of course, that's the commandment. Oh yeah, do that and live, but, but come on. Who really is my neighbor? Who counts as a neighbor? Who's to say? Who's really keeping this law, Jesus? It's a question that has to do with who is truly righteous. He says, he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. It's about who's righteous. The lawyer wants to justify himself before this law. So, 
Now we have, in that opening exchange, we have three issues on the table that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, the law. How should we read and interpret the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself? Number two, righteousness. How should this law be obeyed? And who is the one who truly keeps the law? And then the third issue is salvation. How does a person enter God's kingdom and inherit eternal life? Remember, that's where the whole passage started back in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So, the law, righteousness, and salvation, these are the issues that are at stake in this exchange one day, 2,000 years ago, between an expert in the Mosaic law and the Lord Jesus. The parable of the Good Samaritan is what comes next in the passage. That parable, which we're all familiar with, I wonder if you've ever thought about it in its context like this. The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to those three issues. The law, righteousness, and salvation. Jesus uses a parable of reversal to overturn all of this lawyer's normal expectations and his most basic, safest assumptions about the law, about righteousness, about salvation. And in so doing, Jesus reveals to us the experience and glorious vision of God's kingdom. Jesus flips the script on this lawyer. And I guarantee you he never forgot the encounter. So let's look at these one at a time. As we now look at the parable, we're going to see these three reversals. We're going to see just how Jesus flips the script on this lawyer and on everyone gathered around and listening in. This isn't just the lawyer and Jesus by themselves. There's a crowd. Everybody is watching this. So the first reversal... First reversal on the law. The parable of the Good Samaritan begins as the answer to a challenging question. The lawyer quoted Leviticus 19.18, Love your neighbor as yourself. As one of those commandments you have to keep if you want to inherit the age to come. In verse 27. And Jesus affirms his answer. He says, that's right. So far, so good for the lawyer. Everything seems normal at this point. But then, Jesus asks a follow-up question. Whether the lawyer asks a follow-up question, everything gets turned upside down. He asks in verse 29, And who is my neighbor? As we follow along in the parable, we all think that Jesus is answering his question. But when we get to the end, we realize Jesus wasn't answering that question at all. The lawyer wanted to know, who is my neighbor? But look at the end, what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Hmm. 
The lawyer wants to know who is my neighbor. But Jesus says the question you ought to be asking is, whose neighbor am I? Jesus flips this question around on the lawyer unexpectedly. And in the process, he flips the whole law around. He turns the whole law upside down. How should you read and interpret that law? Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you interpret that commandment? The lawyer put all the emphasis on the neighbor half, didn't he? He puts all the emphasis on the neighbor half of the law and thought he was therefore supposed to figure out who is and who is not my neighbor. Who do I have to love? And who do I not have to love? But Jesus turns that completely around and puts all the emphasis on the love side of the law. The question, who is my neighbor, makes the law all about externals. When the intention of the law is that you become the kind of person who loves everyone as your neighbor without question. This lawyer wants to know, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Got it. Now, let's get busy drawing lines, boxing those people off. My neighbor couldn't possibly be those folks. No, my neighbors have to be these folks. Who am I responsible for loving here, Jesus? Who's to say who my neighbor is? And remember, he's trying to justify himself. It's all about externals. Find out who your neighbor is and be nice. Jesus says you're focusing on the wrong half of the law. You need to be focused on the love side of the law. Not, well, who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? He flips the script on the law. It's not about externals. It's about the heart. The kingdom of God does not overturn the law. Let's be clear. The kingdom of God does not overturn the law. It overturns how we thought we were supposed to keep it. The kingdom takes the focus off of the external behavior and it puts it on the heart. The commandments do not simply tell you what you should do. Get this, Christian. God's commandments, the ones we talked about the last couple of weeks that we should love and be thrilled to keep, God's commandments do not simply tell you what you should do, but what kind of person you should be. Jesus basically does here with a parable what he did in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, the kingdom pushes us inward by teaching us to use the law as a mirror for the soul so that our hearts can be transformed all the way down. Not just in externals. 
You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, one of those, you have heard it said, but I say to you verses, I think, it, what is it, Matthew 5, I think 43, where Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Well, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor includes your enemy. Don't worry about figuring out who my neighbor is. Who, who do I have to love? Who do I not have to love? Start worrying about whose neighbor am I. Focus on the right side of the law. The kingdom pushes us inward and it says it's not about externals merely. It's about your heart. Not just what you do, but who you are. Now that brings us to the second reversal in this passage. The reversal of righteousness. Remember why the lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor? Remember why. What was his motive? Verse 29 again. But he desiring to justify himself, there it is, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to make himself out to be righteous. He wanted to believe and he wanted others to think that he truly kept the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself as well as anybody could ask, as well as anybody could expect. He had done all that the law requires. He was righteous before the law. He was right in the eyes of God. But what he was doing was making the law easier to keep. By saying all those people that I have no interest in loving as my neighbor, they're not my neighbor. And the people that I love really well, those are my neighbors. So look, he shot the arrow and then drew the target around it. Bullseye! Perfect. I'm righteous, Jesus. You know it and God knows it. And that's why he asked the question. He thought he was righteous. I don't doubt his sincerity. He believed it. And he wanted others to believe it too. And the reason he thinks this way is because he doesn't think everyone is his neighbor. Some people are my neighbors, and I love them. And some people aren't. So I don't have to love them. Convenient. And hey, Jesus, sometimes it's hard to tell. Neighbor, not a neighbor. I'm as obedient as anybody could reasonably expect me to be. And Jesus turns that normal expectation among his fellow Jews, including this expert in the law, he turns it upside down. He flips the script. He reverses it entirely. You see, this lawyer was self-righteous. And he tried to justify himself by using the law to set up boundaries around his obedience. Who is my neighbor? Outside the boundary? Inside the boundary? Certainly not everybody. 
Certainly it doesn't mean that I should love everyone as my neighbor. Don't be silly, Jesus. You can't be serious, Jesus. Everybody's my neighbor? Jesus hears this question, and he sees this man's heart. And he tells a story about the Good Samaritan that reverses our expectations of righteousness and obedience. The kingdom of God reveals that we are not as righteous as we want to believe. It shows how unrighteous we really are. And it, be, and it betrays all of the ways we try to justify ourselves, to rationalize. The kingdom overturns it all. The lawyer thinks he's righteous. So in the parable, Jesus gives two examples of people who interpret the law the way he does and one example of someone who interprets the law the way Jesus does. And then he says, all right, now you tell me who is the righteous man. In verse 31... A priest sees the man. We don't know who this man is who's been beaten and left half dead. In verse 31, a priest walks down the road, sees the men in the ditch, and he asks himself, Who is my neighbor? And keeps walking. Verse 32, a Levite walks down the road, sees the man half dead, and he asks himself, now, who really is my neighbor? And he walks on by. Not that guy. That's not my neighbor. And he keeps going. And then, shock and horror to the Jewish audience in Jesus' day, a Samaritan comes trotting down the road on his horse or his mule. He comes down the road and the Samaritan interprets the law the way Jesus does. The Samaritan treats everyone as a neighbor and loves without question. He is the righteous one rather than the others. Look at what he does in verses 33 to 35. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he set him on his own animal, he brought him to an inn, he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He paid for his stay, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you have to spend to take care of this guy, I'll repay it. Charge it to my account, and I'll pay it back when I come back through. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. He does far more than anybody would, would expect. No one would say, love your neighbor means do all of that, right? He goes above and beyond. Righteousness in the kingdom of God is a matter of the heart. That's what this parable is trying to tell you. Righteousness in the kingdom of God is a matter of the heart. 
It's about who you are deep down. Christian righteousness, Christian righteousness consists of having an upright heart, being full of goodness, compassion, love, and mercy, and then striving for obedience from such a heart, just like the Samaritan. The parable showed this lawyer how unrighteous he was. And that's exactly what happens to us when we come face to face with the kingdom of God. It tears down all our pretensions and turns all of our self-righteousness into the unrighteousness that it really is. It absolutely flips the script on what it means to be righteous. The law is not about externals, it's about the heart. And if that's true, then righteousness is not about ticking off the boxes, the externals, it's about the heart. That's where righteousness lives. It lives in the heart. Goodness, mercy, love, compassion... That's where righteousness dwells. Those are, right, those, those are the other names that righteousness is known by. Real, lived out, daily goodness. The point of the law is not to get you to tick off the legalistic boxes and to, and to thump your chest and feel like you're a righteous man or woman. The point of the law is to get you to be good. To be good truly good in the way God defines good down on the inside. Jesus flips the script. He reverses what we think the law is. He reverses what we think righteousness is. And then finally, this brings us to the third and final reversal of the passage. We have seen the reversal on the law from being focused on behavior to being focused on the heart. We've seen the reversal on righteousness from keeping the letter of the law to keeping the spirit of the law that Jesus preaches. And now the third, salvation. Remember the question that started this whole exchange back in verse 25. It's a question of who will inherit eternal life. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was a challenge. And the answer is, who will, who will have eternal life? Jesus' answer is, the righteous, those who keep the law. That's what he says in verse 28. He says, and he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, keep these two great commandments, and you will live. So who are the righteous? Now notice what Jesus isn't telling us here. He isn't telling us the way you get saved, the way you go to heaven is by obedience. Always read the Gospels in light of the ending where Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the unworthy, unrighteous sinners that all of us are. That's how you get saved. Christ dies for us and we trust in what he's done for us and in his resurrection. 
That's how you get saved. Jesus is describing what the person looks like who's going to heaven. What does that person look like? That person has real, lived out righteousness inside of him, inside of her. Who are the righteous? Those who obey with an upright heart. And that means anyone can be saved, even a Samaritan. Now, this may be the most shocking reversal of all three. Jews at the time had great disdain and disgust for Samaritans. And had Jesus told a parable about a Samaritan that was beaten half to death, and a Jew who kindly stopped to help him, it would not have had any kind of effect. They'd have said, of course, of course, there are nice Jews who would stop and help a Samaritan, of course. That makes sense. The Jew's the good guy. Of course. The lawyer, if Jesus had told the parable that way, where the Samaritan's the one who needs the help, the lawyer would have said, that guy deserves a gold star. But the situation would still have been much too normal. But notice that the identity of the man in need is never even mentioned. We have no idea who this guy is. Because it doesn't matter. The one in need, it doesn't matter who he is, where he's from. Thank God his identity is not stated. It doesn't matter who he is. All that matters is he's in need. The Samaritan is not the needy victim. But the Samaritan is the exemplary hero. Verse 37, Jesus said, Who... Well, Jesus said, who's the one who was righteous? Who's the one who proved to be a good neighbor? And the lawyer was forced to say, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go be like that Samaritan. Oh, can you imagine? The shock value of that. Jews believed Samaritans in general could not be saved. They're out of the kingdom automatically just for being Samaritans. And Jesus tells this lawyer who says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? You have to go be like that Samaritan, the one you think can't have it. Jesus' message to this Jewish expert in the law is that This despised Samaritan nobody who couldn't possibly be saved. This Samaritan, Mr. Lawyer, he understands and interprets the commandments better than you. He keeps the law better than you. He is more obedient and more righteous than you. He is justified and you aren't. He has entered the kingdom before you, and He will inherit eternal life before you. I mean, everyone in the crowd is clutching their chest. They're just like, oh my Lord, there's, you've got to be kidding me, Jesus. I mean, the groans and the howls and the, oh, how dare you. You could imagine putting yourself in this situation. He has absolutely obliterated this lawyer's normal 
safe expectations and assumptions. The kingdom of God has broken into his life suddenly and shockingly. It has brought an end to the world as he knows it. It's over. This is always what the kingdom does. And Jesus told shocking, sometimes even scandalous parables of reversal to help people experience what it's like to enter the kingdom. When you meet Jesus and are confronted with his kingdom, it is the end of you. It is the end of your world as you know it. Nothing will be the same. And repentance at the end of the day is saying, Jesus, I now see and acknowledge that I am absolutely wrong about everything. I have been looking at things wrong, living wrong. I am wrong, and you are right. Forgive me and help me go the right way. To start, I've been watching the movie wrong the whole time. Something shocking just happened. The kingdom broke in. And now I have to readjust and reorient my whole world around this kingdom. It's a kingdom that claims an absolute allegiance. That gives you a whole different worldview. Now as we conclude this morning, I, I want you to catch a glimpse of Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, if I could summarize it. The kingdom of God, what does that phrase mean? The kingdom of God is the will and power of God ruling on earth as in heaven. That's what we pray for every Sunday together in the Lord's Prayer. It's the will and power of God ruling on earth as in heaven. It is a vision for what the world would look like if the justice of God ruled and reigned and always came to pass in every heart, in every home, in every community, in all of society, in all of our politics, and in every land and in every nation. What would the world be like, look like, feel like if the justice of God ruled supreme? in every single person's heart, life, and land. If that vision, if Jesus' vision were truly realized, (laughs) would it not be the end of the world? Wouldn't that be an eschatological event where the whole world now is over the way we used to know it? The kingdom's always coming and the world's always ending. The kingdom doesn't happen once. The kingdom always happens. You and I are called, Christian, to embody, to incarnate that vision of the kingdom. To live it out in opposition to the normalcy of injustice and self-righteousness. We must love without limits. Treat all people as our neighbor. Ask the question, whose neighbor am I? And serve their needs like the Samaritan. Welcome everyone without exception in humility. Strive for an upright and holy heart before the Lord. A heart that is full of heavenly, divine goodness, compassion, and mercy. 
Make your own life, Christian, a parable of reversal that overturns everyone's expectations and shows the world the eternal hope of what it really looks like when the kingdom of God rules on earth as it does in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent the Lord Jesus and that he is the one who shatters our world. He tells us his vision, his dream, his passion for the world, a world that he loves. He came and died to inaugurate this kingdom, to get it started, to launch this project of new creation in the kingdom of God. And we're part of that project because when you save us and cause us to be born again, we become new creatures. We are creatures from the future. People that are made to live in God's future world, your full, final kingdom that will one day be fully realized. We are called to live now as though that world were already here. So Lord, help us. Help us to admit where we're wrong and to resist with all our might to justify ourselves and to be self-righteous. And help us to be longing after your will to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. May we be about your will in our lives that you would make us interpret the law the way Jesus does to focus on the heart the way Jesus does and not to get legalistic. Or keep us focused on cultivating in our sanctification the goodness and mercy and love of our Savior. That we could truly embody who He is and what He is like and help us to move outside of our own comfort zones to love without question and without limits. To not ask, who is my neighbor? But to be the people who say, whose neighbor do I get to be today? How can I serve you by loving others? Help us to be full of good deeds and not to offer them up to you to earn something from your hand, but to give our good deeds away to serve and love our neighbor. And may you be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.